There are thousands of children in our foster care system waiting for families. We'll talk about how Christians can help. Also, unelected government officials make many of the rules American citizens and businesses must live by. We'll ask former Oklahoma Congressman Ernest Istook if elections really matter. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire. We will not falter. And we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. Just tell him. I'm pregnant. I could, like, have this baby and, and give it to someone that, like, totally needs it. You should look at the penny saver. They have ads for parents. Yeah. We love this trailer from the movie Juno to introduce some of our topics. Of course, it was the story of a teenage girl with an unplanned pregnancy. Supported by her parents, she does decide to give this baby up to a couple longing for a child. Uh, often we use this to talk about abortion and uh, the pro-life movement. Today uh, we're using it to lead us into a discussion that I think you'll find very interesting later in the program, a very special way to cope with some of the problems in our society, including abortion and unwed motherhood, is adoption. Many wonderful families, and I'm certain uh, some of you listening are adopting children. Uh, Others of you have opened your home as foster parents. Sometimes children with no suitable home end up in our foster care system. And when you think about it, those kids are really a built-in mission field for Christian families. And there's a new ministry in North Texas. It's growing. Uh, It's formed to meet the needs of foster and adoptive families, also to encourage churches to raise up such families. It's called Embrace, and we're going to talk with its founder in the next segment of Jerry Johnson Live, so you won't want to miss that. Uh, You know, it might not matter uh, what Congress passes or does not pass to uh, really take care of the quote-unquote global warming problem because the bureaucrats at the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, want to severely restrict your energy use. They want to impose some policies that would raise taxes and uh, would really raise home energy costs and gas prices. Former Congressman Ernest Istook is going to join us later to talk about the power of unelected bureaucrats to regulate our lives. It's more than you think. He is now with the Heritage Foundation. He's a great radio voice. You won't want to miss that segment. Plus, we've been uh, telling you about the gender wars. Yesterday, we talked about Save the Males with Kathleen Parker. But really, what conventional wisdom still is, is that this nation is sexist. At least Hillary Clinton's former supporters think so. So we'll uh, ask the question, are we a sexist nation later in the program? 
if we get to that. Well, also, ladies and gentlemen, the G8 summit, summit is taking place in Japan. President Bush is there. And, uh, of course, one of the questions uh, that uh, people are asking him is uh, what to do or what is he going to do about the Olympics in Beijing? Of course, those are taking place in August, and uh, there are human rights violations galore taking place in China. Uh, they basically oppress their dissidents, those that disagree with the government. They oppress Christians. Uh, they oppress Tibet. They deal with Sudan and pour millions and billions of dollars into that country where there's lots of persecution going on. And there are folks across the nation and across the world that think their leaders should not go to the opening ceremonies. And uh, President Bush says he will be going, though. He, in fact, he told reporters at the G8 summit in Japan he doesn't think it's necessary for him to skip that ceremony just to let China know what he'd like them to work on. I don't need the Olympics to express my concerns. <laughs> I've been doing so. As a matter of fact, President Bush says he's not staying away. He doesn't need to show this displeasure uh, in this way. This is not the way he would do so because of our athletes. I view the Olympics as a opportunity for me to cheer on our athletes. And that's about it. Well, should he go? What do you think? 800-881-9270. Should President Bush stay away or go to the opening ceremonies in Beijing? We'd love to hear from you. Well, as I mentioned, the G8 summit is taking place in Japan. They're talking a lot about energy. Uh, they're also talking about food. And uh, before the food crisis talks, uh, it's very interesting. British Prime Minister Gordon Brown had an eight-course dinner. And it was called the Blessings of the Earth and Sea Social Dinner. There were 18 dishes there and five wines. And, of course, he is asking the Brits to uh, really quit wasting food in that country. Uh, he's setting down a decree, no more bulk buying, no more two-for-one specials at the grocery stores. And I always think it's absurd at these world meetings because they do pretty much live high there uh, when they're dealing with issues like poverty and uh, energy, that which is becoming more and more scarce. And there's just different rules for the leaders and, uh, I guess, for the regular people in this country. But give us a call if you have an opinion about the Bush Olympics. Uh, of course, the G8 uh, is the developed nations of the world and also Russia. You have to decide whether you uh, consider that a developed or developing nation. And uh, there's a little disagreement taking place between our government and our national security apparatus and uh, the Russian leaders, they're not too happy with us because we want to build a missile defense system. And uh, as a matter of fact, Condoleezza Rice, who was our Secretary of State, was briefed in Prague today. And uh, she said this new defense system that is being proposed and actually planned and that Russia opposes uh, is really uh, important and that um, it will help protect against any threat from countries that have nukes, including Iran. We've made the point to our Russian colleagues that uh, we all face the threat from states like Iran that continue to pursue missiles of ever longer range, and uh, we must be in a position to respond. Are you going to watch the Olympics? I'm sure you are. Most of us will be. Uh, do you think President Bush should make a point about uh, persecution, oppression of dissidents, persecution of Christian, jailing of pastors in Russia by not going to the ceremonies? Give us a call on that. Again, the number is 800-881-9270 if you want to weigh in. Russia actually threatened to retaliate uh, by military means 
after uh, the U.S. announced this deal with the Czech Republic, uh, which brought this uh, U.S. missile defense system in Europe a step closer. And, you know, I've said before on the program that missile defense is one of the big accomplishments of the Bush administration because he got us out of the anti-ballistic missile defense system treaty. And uh, we have developed some sea-based missiles, and we've stopped some missiles uh, from being uh, actually hitting their targets. Our system is proving to be very accurate, but we need more. And the reason we need it is because there's so many nuclear weapons and so many countries developing them, countries where we really don't have uh, the ability to control what they do. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice said that this initial agreement to begin basing Part of this missile shield, uh, of course, on the part of the United States, uh, it would be based in former Soviet territory. They don't like it, but she says it's important for security. It is an agreement that is uh, befitting for friends and allies who face a common threat in the 21st century and uh, wish to address it through uh, the application of the best defensive technologies that we can bring to bear. Negotiations have been taking place for 14 months, and the United States is struggling to clinch the agreement with the other proposed partner, which is Poland, hoping to locate interceptor missiles designed to shoot down any income rockets. And, uh, of course, Washington is insisting when they talk to Russia that the missiles will not be targeted at them. And as a matter of fact, it will be good for Russia because it will be a safeguard for Europe, Uh, and Russia and all the former Soviet Union against regimes like Iran, who are developing nukes. Pakistan has nukes, we know. The plan was endorsed by NATO in April. And uh, as a matter of fact, here's the quote um, from um, Condoleezza Rice. She says this system is significant. It's a building block, not for the security of the U.S. and the Czech Republic, but also NATO and also just the international community as a whole, And she says that ballistic missile proliferation is not an imaginary threat. Here again is Condoleezza Rice. She said that really this agreement reflects an understanding between the U.S. and the Czech Republic over we know what exists, and that is new global threats. With our Czech allies, we are able to do that today. With our NATO allies, we have been able to uh, secure agreement that this is important to NATO. All right. Also on the national security uh, front, uh, we have heard in the news that the Iraqi prime minister wants a withdrawal date. Uh, They want our administration and our government to agree to a date certain to withdraw our troops. This has been something that President Bush has been against and uh, the Bush administration has been against because it really signals to our enemies when we'll leave and it might not... uh, uh, it might send the wrong message to them. You may have uh, actually uh, sort of um, a situation where they're waiting to come back once we leave. Now, the last of the tr- uh, surge of 30,000 troops will be leaving Iraq this month, so it will leave the level at about 140,000. And uh, military leaders, including Admiral Mike Mullen, who is chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said, to, uh, said yesterday that... The violence in Iraq is continuing to subside. Of course, you don't hear a whole lot of that. Uh, Some of those stories are are buried. But uh, he says that the overall level of violence in Baghdad is down to levels not seen for more than four years. 
And uh, the Bush administration, of course, wants to now set down at the G8 summit a formal agreement authorizing a long-term U.S. presence. Maliki, though, the the Maliki, I'm sorry, the Iraqi uh, prime minister, wants more of a memorandum of understanding, which carries less legal and political weight, and he does want a date uh, for us to leave. But um, Robert Gates, who is the Secretary of Defense, is thinking that it might be possible that we could actually withdraw more troops before the end of the year. As a matter of fact, he told a news conference today that the U.S. is closing in on the end stage of its mission in Iraq. I would say we are already uh, well into a transition of mission that really began uh, with the withdrawal of the 1st Surge Brigade last December. It's going to change the debate among the presidential candidates, and I think Barack Obama has already acknowledged that. He sort of opened up uh, the situation for himself last week when he mentioned that he'd be going to Iraq and looking at things on the ground, talking to military leaders, and then sort of making a decision about his position on uh, troop drawdown. Of course, a lot of people called that a flip-flop, and uh, you know he has flipped and flopped on other issues, but I'm glad Uh, If he does end up president, that he is at least considering the fact that we might want to leave some troops there a little longer. Local U.S. commanders in Iraq actually want to keep troop levels steady for as long as possible because they've really seen the situation and they want to prevent Iraq's recent security gains from eroding. And, you know, the situation has gotten a lot better. The number of attacks in Baghdad has fallen this year. It was a high of 740 in April. In June, it was just... uh, 116 and 19 so far uh, in the month of July. Uh, Defense Secretary Robert Gates again saying that the process of transferring these security responsibilities to the Iraqis is going very well, and hopefully this will allow the U.S. to continue drawing down its troops. This transition of of control and of responsibility, primary responsibility for security, is a process that's already well underway, and and uh, based on everything that I'm hearing. Uh, we'll be able to continue. What better way to exemplify God's love to children than through adoption or through foster care? There's a new ministry in North Texas that encourages churches to play a big part in this life-saving effort. It's called Embrace, and we're going to talk about it next. Stay with us for more of Jerry Johnson Live. Have you thought about getting a master's degree but think your schedule is too busy? Now you can increase your education and biblical knowledge in just one day a week. The new MDiv Monday program at Criswell College allows you to get a master's by attending class only on Mondays. Get equipped for effective ministry or get one step closer to your doctorate. Pick from a great list of concentrations like counseling, evangelism, pastoral ministry, philosophy, Jewish studies, and more. At Criswell College, you'll learn from some of the best professors and get valuable experience in and out of the classroom. With a Master of Divinity degree, you'll open up a whole new level of ministry and career opportunities. It's as easy as one day a week. If I can do this with my crazy schedule, I know you can too. The new MDiv Monday program at Criswell College. Call us at 800-899-0012 or check us out at criswell.edu. 
Invest in God's kingdom and in yourself through the Chriswell College. See us on the web at chriswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Just tell him. I'm pregnant. I could like have this baby and, and give it to someone that like, totally needs it. You should look at the penny saver. They have ads for parents. Yeah. The trailer from Juno, we love it. Uh, it makes lots of points that we like to make. And one of those is that uh, there's a sense in which Christians are uniquely uh, really qualified to care for children who find themselves without parents or perhaps in abusive homes or unwanted by their parents. Our next guest knows that. His name is Bruce Kendrick. And for six years, uh, he has served as a student minister at uh, various churches. He is now minister to students at Rays Hill Baptist Church in McKinney. But he and his wife have uh, taken in 25 foster children over the years through their home. They also have three of their own children. And he has decided uh, to make this his ministry. He believes that Christians uh, can have a huge impact on these quote-unquote waiting children. And Bruce, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. Bruce, uh, tell me about really how this uh, this ministry to adoptive families, foster families, and these kids who are waiting, which is the term that you use, how did this sort of grow in your heart? Well, my wife and I, uh, after we had been married for a couple years, uh, just had the the personal conviction that uh, foster parenting, particularly taking care of orphans based out of James 127, was something that we felt obligated to do uh, and capable of doing. Uh, even this this home we live in right now has just been a godsend to provide for us uh, in order to meet the needs of these kids. And uh, over the course of uh, about five years, uh, like you said, we've, we've fostered children, and when we came to Raisin Hill Baptist Church, we had one of our parents and one of our our families at the church just she became convicted over the ministry that we had in our home and said hey i really think we should start a uh, a foster adoption ministry at our church and and denise and i had never thought about that for ourselves we just assumed you know it was just kind of going to be something that our family did um and when she got that just kind of going we jumped on and, and helped her launch that and then realized the need was really bigger than, than what was going on just in our local church. It was something that needed to go on in the entire uh, area of North Texas and, and really throughout the country. Well, a foster and adoption ministry sounds like uh, something that most churches, with any size at all to them, could do. What, though, Bruce, does this look like at Ray's Mill? Well, we currently have uh, trained four families. Uh, we have three families waiting to adopt. Uh, And basically what we've done is we've teamed up with CPS, Child Protective Services, and asked them to bring in the training that's required to license foster and adoptive families. Um, We have a resource network where we've asked families that maybe don't have the the time or uh, maybe just the the specific calling to become foster parents or to adopt, but maybe they've got just a different gift or, or they've got money or whatever the case may be, that they can still take part in this ministry. Uh, we've also started a, a resource closet where people have brought in clothes and toys and diapers and, and just uh, a- anything and everything that you can imagine to meet really just the very tangible and practical needs of these children. 
And so it's, it's really not just been just a select group of people that have said, hey, I want to be a foster parent or I want to adopt. What's been cool is to see many families get involved and say, hey, we have time that we can give to these kids. We've got a, a, a dad that came and picked up three of our foster kids that were with us um, and took them to the fire station because he was a fireman and let them just kind of see that and slide down the pole and, and have a great time. And, and it's those sorts of things that, that we really see uh, this ministry as you know more than just something that my wife and I do or, or an individual foster family does. But Bruce, what strikes me here is not only the fact that you're helping people learn how to be foster parents, uh, how to open up their home, but also people who would not be ready to make that type of a commitment but people that could come alongside these families and these kids in various ways, correct? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's really the church reclaiming uh, the care of orphans. Um, It's something that that I'm really passionate about, as as maybe we've handed that over to the government and just assumed that they'll do a good job with it. Um, I, I see the church coming back towards its roots of taking care of the poor, taking care of uh, those that, that are helpless and giving them hope. Folks, uh, I'll, get, I'll open up the phones, and if you want to call in and ask Bruce a question, I think that would, I, I'd love all your stories, but we won't have time for that. Sure. But if you have a yeah. question for Bruce, give us a call at 800-881-9270. And Bruce, I want to ask you how people can find out more about Embrace, because this needs to multiply to churches across uh, North Texas and really across the country. Right. Um, well, we currently have kind of just a temporary site up. It's embracetexas.org. And um, it's got some information about how we got started. It's got contact information and whatnot. You can always email me uh, or the director of Embrace at our local church. Her name is Cindy Kaufman, and her email address is cindy at uh, embracetexas.org. But there's lots going on in the entire Metroplex, and so it's really cool to see uh, the movement of many churches that have already started things within their, their local body coming together and encouraging CPS and encouraging other agencies uh, to really come together and, and push this to become a very effective way of meeting the needs of these children and families. My guest is Bruce Kendrick, and uh, he has founded this wonderful new ministry called Embrace, and you can go to the website. We'll give it out again at the end of the segment. Uh, but, Bruce, you have really taken up a biblical mandate that's in the book of James, uh, chapter 1, and I think it's wonderful, and I think that it, this is a really a useful ministry. It's almost a clearinghouse for things people can do for uh, these families and these kids. Now, just tell us, though, about the need. Uh, how big is the need, say, across the Metroplex for something like this? Well, in Region 3, which is basically the DFW Metroplex all the way up to Red River, uh, we've got approximately 3,000 children that need uh, foster families or need to be adopted. You can go on to the Terror website, which is the Texas Adoption Resource Exchange, and that's actually for the entire state of Texas. And there are just pages upon pages upon pages of children that are waiting to be adopted. Um, And so as you take a look at that and just understand within Collin County, um, if each church within Collin County took care of three children, the entire need for that county would be cared for. Um, And so my wife and I have looked at this and just gone, what what an incredible opportunity we have to, to meet a very real need, a very achievable uh, need. So, Bruce Kendrick is my guest. We've got uh, folks calling in. Let's go to Little Elm and talk with Frank. Frank, thanks for calling in. What's your question? 
Yeah, I was going to ask Bruce, are there just are these are just very young children or are there like 15, 16, 17-year-old teenagers that also have this need? I just kind of wanted to get an, an idea of the age range. Well, you've got children from uh, birth all the way up to age 18 when they age out. Um, and, and what what you'll find, that particularly on the TARE website, uh, if you Google T-A-R-E, uh, the TARE website, you'll see kids that are, you know, older, you'll see kids that are younger. Um, that there's there's not really a, a specific age group that's, that's in need. They're, they're all over the map. Um, and particularly the, the older children, once they pass the age of 12, uh, we find that the percentages of them being adopted decreases dramatically, and the percentage of their chance to go into prison or, um, you know, just be without a family that really encourages them and supports them for the rest of their lives, obviously not there. So the needs, the needs there from, from a child that's, you know, that's five days old, like the, the son that we have, the foster son we have in our home now, uh, all the way up to age 18. Let's go to McKinney and talk to Jelana. Jelana, you're on with Bruce Kendrick. Uh, my question was, I'm, like, I'm very young, I'm 23, and I'm very interested in encouraging young, um, young people to live for Christ at an early age. And I actually want to adopt one day. It won't be anytime soon, you know, because I'm still getting established with my husband and I. So I was wondering, do you have any opportunities with something like that, whether it be volunteering or... Well, Bruce? You've, got, um, you've got opportunities uh, to volunteer. There's the uh, Collin County Children's Advocacy Center in Plano. They have lots of volunteer opportunities. Uh, you also have um, resource closets and, and resource networks and... Uh, respite care for a lot of these foster families that uh, may may just need a break or they're going on vacation or whatever they their uh, you know their summer plans are that you have the opportunity to uh, you know take care of their child for a few days. Uh, obviously, there's some training that goes into that and and um, some licensing issues that goes into that. But it's not it, it's not this huge uh, thing that that would be a, a deterrent for anybody taking part in that. Bruce Kendrick, uh, judging from the calls we're getting, this is a need uh, across our listening audience. And unfortunately, uh, we are coming up on the end of the segment. But I want to have you back because we need to talk about this issue more. We also need to talk about uh, talk about embrace uh, again on the program. But please tell people again how they can get in touch with you to find out what you're about and how they can get involved in whatever way that uh, sort of strikes their their chord right now. Well, um, you can always go to the EmbraceTexas.org website. Again, that's uh, just something that we put up just so we'd have information out there. Uh, if you're looking for something in your particular area of the Metroplex, you can go to the DFW Alliance website, uh, which I believe is either DFWAlliance.com or .org, but you can Google that. Uh, and then I'll have information about all the other ministries in the DFW area that are going on that are meeting the needs of these children as well. EmbraceTexas.org. Check it out, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll have Bruce back. Bruce Kendrick, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Benna. James 127 talks about pure and faultless religion. And what is it? It's looking after widows and orphans, as Bruce Kendrick just said. Uh, Let's think about it. Uh, Let's get involved with something. Perhaps Embrace Ministries is the way to go. Ladies and gentlemen, next up... uh, Former Congressman Ernest Istook will join us, and uh, he wants to talk about those folks that are really controlling lots of things in your lives, and you didn't even elect them. Stay with us for that.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. Sadly, it looks as though we're not going to get anything tremendously um, groundbreaking from the G8, certainly while we have the Bush administration at the table. He's not happy uh, that there's not going to be an agreement on stopping global warming at the G8 summit that's taking place right now. Pointing a finger at the United States, that was Keith Allot of the World Wildlife Fund in Britain. And uh, he's saying that it looks like any real progress on controlling climate change won't happen until next year. I always think it's uh, presumptuous to think that a bunch of U.N. bureaucrats could actually control what happens in the climate. Well, they're trying to in California, and uh, California is actually making it mandatory for cars to be labeled with uh, what they're calling global warming scores. Uh, which are figures that take into account emissions from vehicle use and also from fuel production. So this is a law in the state of California, where else, which requires that these labels, uh, uh, this law will go into effect at the start of next year, and it'll be for all 2009 model uh, cars. Uh, but they'll probably be popping up on cars all over California and maybe spreading beyond state lines in the coming months. But this new labeling law forces cars for sale to display this global warming score uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, and it's based on how vehicles in the same model year compare to one another. The higher the score, uh, apparently the cleaner the car is. And this score takes into account various things, including emissions uh, related to production of fuel for each vehicle and also the direct emissions that come from the vehicles. Uh, Now, they already have something in California uh, that's required called a smog score. And this this rates cars 1 to 10 for how many smog-forming emissions they emit. Uh, but this score is going to be this new score on global warming will be next to the smog score. So you're going to have the global warming score and you're going to have the smog score on California um, cars. And for both scores, uh, the average vehicle will have a score of five. Now, California is the first state to pass such a law and a similar law will take place in New York. So on both coasts, we're going to have this regulation. This will be for the year 2010 for that model year. Global warming scores will be included on uh, the state's Drive Clean, that's California's Drive Clean website. Now, this law is intended to help consumers take into account emissions when they're purchasing the car. It's going to be a part of their purchasing decision. I know something else that's going to be part of the purchasing decision, and that's how much gas does it use. Uh, There is a... um, proposed law in the European Union, this could spread to California and other states, where the EU public sector bodies will actually put a price on emissions. That's something we can talk about later because, uh, as a matter of fact, if Dr. Johnson calls in later this week, we're going to ask him about this uh, because people are beginning to have to pay for their emissions in the United Kingdom, and it's all part of this cap-and-trade system. But there was a law that was endorsed by the European Parliament's Committee on Environment public health, and food safety. And again, this would make uh, the governments uh, put a monetary cost to emissions of vehicles that they plan to purchase, and they would add that to the expense calculations. It would exclude certain vehicles like ambulances and fire trucks. Well, we have a very special guest with us, and he makes a very interesting point, and it sort of cuts through some of this nonsense. Uh, As we've been talking about the environment, his article uh, that was posted July 3rd on WorldNet Daily entitled The Rise of the Unelected really makes the point that we've got folks that are not elected in our government agencies that are making decisions 
that affect our lives and the cost of our lives to a great degree. Uh, this one starts out, America's future prosperity may hinge on when who wins an internal fight within the Bush administration. The fight is between the Environmental Protection Agency and the Office of Management and Budget. With us to talk about it is uh, former Oklahoma Congressman Ernest Istook, uh, who is a champion of conservative values in the Congress. He is now a distinguished fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And Representative Istook, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank, thanks for having me on the program, and I like to say that I'm recovering from having served uh, in the Congress, uh, because certainly when we talk about what bureaucrats do to try to control our lives, uh, to elevate our expense, uh, and frankly, to disregard common sense too often, remember that bureaucrats only have that authority because it was granted to them by the Congress. I have typically seen so many people in Congress try to condemn the bureaucrats, but yet they won't uh, control them as they could. That's why people who are unelected, both as bureaucrats and, unfortunately, too many of our unelected judges also are trying to govern the country, and that's not the constitutional system. Okay, one of the big issues is being talked about at the G8 right now, and of course it gets talked about in the halls of Congress frequently, has to do with uh, the emissions of carbon dioxide. And of course it's up for grabs whether this is a huge pollutant or not, but our government's trying to regulate it. Can you talk about this fight sort of between the bureaucrats and our government? Well, certainly. And remember that Congress several times has had the opportunity to say that the Environmental Protection Agency can regulate carbon dioxide. They have always refused to let them do so. Uh, there's a great paper by Ben Lieberman of the Heritage Foundation that's on the Heritage Foundation website at heritage.org telling uh, the history of those efforts. Yet, uh, because of a 5-4 to four Supreme Court decision that came out last year, uh, the EPA is in a position where they are considering, on their own, regulating carbon dioxide. Now, we've got to understand, when we say people will often just call it carbon as though it's some black, sooty substance that's soiling the, the ground and messing up the air. No, we can't even we're see it. About carbon dioxide, odorless, colorless gas that we all exhale when we breathe. And when you burn energy, it makes carbon dioxide. So if they regulate that, it's saying they are going to regulate everything. Wow. Okay. We've talked before on this program about cap-and-trade, and this is what the EPA wants. They want a cap-and-trade system, and what this would end up doing is making energy really more expensive because you're going to pay for not only the energy you use, but just for the right to use it if you're using over a certain level. Is that a correct analysis, Representative Istuk? Uh, that That is a correct analysis that uh, part of what the EPA has done, they have published uh, and leaked it to the press. It's not official yet. They've leaked 250 pages of uh, proposed, uh, technically it's a step before proposed rulemaking. Part of what they talk about is a so-called cap-and-trade system, and that is really a way of rationing uh, the ability to emit carbon dioxide. If you don't have a government permit, if you don't have a ration coupon, so to speak, uh, then you're not allowed uh, to create or use the energy that emits the carbon dioxide. So you can see, basically, uh, regulating what we exhale 
is almost as bad as regulating the right to breathe itself. <laughs> and that's what the EPA is trying to grab. Representative Istook, the Senate declined to do this a few weeks ago, and right. I thought it was interesting. But the EPA wants to move ahead and do this. And this is sort of the point I want to make with you, and that is that sometimes elections don't seem to matter. Well, elections don't matter if the people who are making the decisions are not accountable uh, to the voters. If the bureaucrats, uh, if Congress just says, look, uh, you go try to reach these goals and you work out the details and whatever power you need to grab in order to do it, when Congress lets bureaucrats do that, uh, then bureaucrats are going to disregard the cost. A lot of the environmental laws, for example, uh, say that the EPA cannot consider the cost of complying with the regulations that they issue. Now, you talk about something that's outrageous. Wow. Uh, put all these controls on the emission of energy. Uh, that's why, uh, depending on which survey you go by, this proposed regulation by the EPA of carbon dioxide would probably cost America about a billion jobs a year. It would raise the average home utility costs by 50 to to $100 a month. You think gasoline prices are high now? They would be even higher because they would come under these uh, new additional EPA uh, emission standards. So it is basically uh, a way to regulate everything from your lawnmower to your heating and air conditioning system to factories, restaurants, power plants, farm equipment, uh, in a nutshell, everything, because almost everything that uses energy produces CO2. Okay, John Fund of the Wall Street Journal has also railed against the bureaucracy and how it's sort of a shadow government. What can we do to change this system, Representative Istook? Well, what can be done is, is Congress needs to change the whole system. Uh, right now, the what's called the Administrative Procedures Act says that if a government agency issues regulations, they go into effect unless Congress passes a law to stop them, which is very, very difficult to do, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. We need to change that so that regulations only go into place if Congress affirmatively approves them. Then you have somebody who is accountable to the voters who has actually been responsible for particular regulation, and uh, you can vote for or against the person of your choice accordingly. Representative Ernest Istook, a distinguished fellow at the Heritage Foundation, recovering Oklahoma congressman. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate uh, your common sense on this and other issues. And the website, folks, is heritage.org. The Heritage Foundation is a great organization. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. You take care. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, next up, uh, yesterday, we talked about uh, saving the males with Kathleen Parker on her new book, sort of a bias against boys that has risen as an unwanted repercussion of the feminist movement. But most people, especially former Hillary Clinton supporters, still think that there's a bias against women. And we're going to discuss whether there is or there isn't. Are we a sexist nation? Join us for that next on Jerry Johnson Live.
I thought my life was too busy to get a master's degree, but Criswell College makes it easy. Did you know that you can now get a Master of Divinity degree in just one day a week? If I can fit this into my schedule, I know you can too. Come to Criswell College on Mondays and increase your education for more effective ministry. With concentrations in pastoral ministry, evangelism, Jewish studies, counseling, philosophy, and more, you can build your personal ministry with a master's degree or go on to get your doctorate. You'll study with some of the most distinguished professors in the nation and get plenty of hands-on experience outside the classroom. All it takes is one day a week. Come join me and my friends on the Criswell College campus and get your Master of Divinity degree. One day, one place. MDiv Monday at Criswell College. Call us at 800-899-0012 or check us out at criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. Invest in God's kingdom and in yourself through the Criswell College. See us on the web at criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us today. I'm Penna Dexter, and I've been sitting in for Dr. Jerry Johnson as he has taken a group of Criswell College students to Oxford University for the Distinguished Scholars Program. They do this every summer. It's a wonderful program, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from him tomorrow or the next day because we can talk about some of the craziness going on in the U.K. But uh, I want you to weigh in, if you would like to, on this whole issue of the gender wars. Uh, do you think uh, in this country we're biased against boys in some uh, cases, like we talked about yesterday with Kathleen Parker, or is there still sort of a sexist bias against women in America. You can call on that, 800-881-9270. First of all, though, I found out something today that I didn't know uh, having to do with the presidential race. And, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's role at the Democrat convention is being negotiated. I read this in the Wall Street Journal today. I think it's very interesting uh, because her name... um, in some form or fashion, and they're trying to figure out how this is going to happen, is going to be put into nomination at the convention in Denver, uh, probably, unless it's uh, unless maybe she's a vice president, uh, presidential candidate or something else. But there'll be a full roll call vote. And, of course, that's going to remind Democrats how close she came to being the nominee. And, uh, you know, these rifts that still exist in the party, because there's still a lot of resentment over the way people think she was treated. Some people say that there was a sexist bias against her. Um, But uh, keeping her name off the roll call, which is one option, that could actually anger her uh, supporters. But under the party rules, her huge delegate count actually gives her the right to put her name into uh, the nomination, and the Democrats are now sort of arguing about whether it's wise uh, to do that. And Donna Brazil, who is one of the operatives there in the Democratic Party, says politically, she's asking the question, does it heighten the tensions? I kind of think it does. Now, Hillary could be very gracious. She could decline to have her name uh, put forward. And uh, then Senator Obama would be nominated by acclamation. And uh, of course, this would be sort of a, a, a uniting uh, action that could take place. The Democrat Party rules require that there be a roll call, uh, but the Rules Committee could actually adopt any agreement that the two campaigns reach. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Senator Obama, if he was un- nominated unanimously, would send a message that he had unified the party, and that's certainly something they want. But there is this strong feeling out there that Senator Clinton's delegates need a chance, and it's a lot of the women in the party that are demanding this. 
of course, Obama also could avert the danger, says the Journal, by offering to showcase Senator Clinton with a primetime speech, a biographical film, or appearances by her husband and daughter. Just what they don't want, uh, the Clintons at the Democrat convention uh, stealing the show. But, uh, you know, that kind of brings up the the point uh, of sexism in America. Is it still alive? And a significant number of voters blame Hillary's failure to easily grab that presidential nomination on this bias they think is still existing against women in politics. Some of the elderly women who are veterans of the battles for women's rights actually saw a Hillary presidency as their crowning victory. Of course, glass ceilings have been shattered in the business world and also in academia and many professions, but not in politics. And now was the time to break through that roof, uh, but they didn't do it. And so they're saying America is a sexist nation, and for that reason, women lack power and influence. So the question is, are women doomed to an inferior position when it comes to their influence in politics? Uh, One of our uh, sort of frequent guests here on the program, he's a prominent researcher, John Lott, who uh, joined us last week to talk about the uh, gun decision by the Supreme Court. But he's got some research that says even though no woman has yet occupied the Oval Office, women are actually driving public policy to a greater degree than men, and they have been for a while. Now, John Lott has worked at the University of Chicago, also Yale and Wharton. He's now a research scientist at the University of Maryland, and his book is Freedomnomics, Why the Free Market Works and Other Half-Baked Theories Don't. And he sometimes appears on Fox News. This column uh, that Fox recently published sort of talks about this issue, and it draws from recent history to counter the idea that there is a bias against women in politics. First Lot argues that women make up the majority of all voters, uh, and I think we know that from other uh, statistics that we've seen out there. Uh, They also occupy even a greater majority of Democrat primary and caucus voters. Uh, John Lott makes a clear case that since women got the vote state by state in the 1920s, they have actually been increasingly getting their way. Government growth actually sped up in the 1920s, even before the the New Deal brought forward by Roosevelt. uh, Government began growing after women got the vote, and the cause, uh, John Lott says, was women's suffrage. In fact, he writes that in the 45 years after women obtained the right to vote, Uh, Women's voting rates grew to reach the same level as men, so that was very quick. Um, That growth then coincided with this massive increase in both both state and federal government. I think the feminist movement brought uh, a lot of that in. Uh, And in the 1970s, women's share of the voting population leveled off. Of course, this was just when uh, the breakdown of the family was hitting the culture. We had no-fault divorce, and divorce began skyrocketing. Uh, And then with the sexual revolution, we had increasing out-of-wedlock births. And then, of course, you have a lot of uh, repercussions that come from that. And uh, women end up being increasingly in poverty, so women were voting for government to pick up the pieces from all of these forces that had hit the culture. So John Lott's research shows that women tend to support government programs to a much greater degree than men do. They're more risk-averse than men. They like uh, government health care, and they like uh, some of the government programs that take care of people. They support uh, policies that make sure they and their children will be taken care of. Married women and women who are less likely to fear divorce tend to become more like men in their voting patterns. Conservative women, a lot of times Christian women, vote more like men. They favor lower taxes 
and they oppose uh, government transfers from the rich to the poor. Well, uh, what happened in 1996? We started to see this welfare state that was just growing and burgeoning. Congress passed a welfare reform package, which mandated time limits for receiving welfare payments. And then they imposed work requirements on welfare recipients. Now, women oppose this to a greater degree than men. Women are more supportive than men of Medicare and also of Social Security. Again, they they see this sort of um, nanny state as necessary. They also are more supportive of educational initiatives. So I guess the message here uh, for believing women, for Christian women, is not that women are persecuted or that we live in a sexist nation or that women somehow need to be uh, undergirded and need more rights and need to be boosted uh, in the political arena. I think believing women need to understand that at this moment in history, you actually have tremendous political power. What are you going to do with it? You need to use it wisely. Uh, I would say that you should stay involved in the political process, but do it wisely. Make sure you know the candidates uh, that you are supporting and make sure you know why and make sure you look at your biblical worldview in order to make those decisions. Well, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow, Dr. Barry Creamer will be here sitting in this chair, and uh, he's always a lot of fun, so make sure you join us then for Jerry Johnson Live. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.